He deserves all the praise and glory. All right, welcome everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Welcome Indianapolis. Indianapolis campus is in a new spot today. Praise God, and we're looking for a permanent spot, and we are believing God, and God's going to open up the right place for us. In fact, he's already got it prepared for us. Amen. And I want to say to all the fathers out there, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, wherever you're watching in the world, happy Father's Day. And I want you to know that fathers, you are loved and appreciated, valued, blessed, highly favored, anointed. Well, it seems like nobody appreciates me. Jesus appreciates you. You, you are, uh, don't be moved by what somebody might say to you. Even if it's a family member or a spouse, um, just focus on the Father's love for you. Know that you are accepted by your Heavenly Father. Amen. Fathers need to be appreciated. Tell the fathers in your life how much you value and appreciate them. And it's not... Not based on their behavior. How many of you know it's easy to judge somebody based on their behavior and, uh, or their faults? Anybody here don't have faults? Huh? So, uh, looks like I'm, I'm the only one in here without faults. Now, all of us have faults, but you know what? In our spirit... There's nothing wrong with us. Fathers, there's nothing wrong with you. That's how your Heavenly Father sees you. See, in your spirit, there's nothing at all wrong with you. Thank you, Jesus. So appreciate the fathers in your life. Fathers need to know that they are, that they are valued. Fathers need to know that they're appreciated. And somebody say amen. amen. Can I get two amens? Amen. amen. All right. Um, you know the one name of God that Jesus came to reveal is Father. I want to read this in. Um, this is not my message. This is just a word for Father. And I want to say to you, fathers, um, that you have an opportunity to show to your children what your Heavenly Father is like. You have an opportunity to uh, show them the love of the Father. Amen. Um, you have a tremendous opportunity 
because as you receive the love that the Father has for you, then you can give that love to your children. And they're watching and learning from not just what you say, but what you do. Amen. Because as we receive the love of the Father, then what, what can we do? We can pass it on. Amen? Okay. John 17, 6. I'm going to read this from the W.E.B. translation. I believe that's the World English Bible. The one name of God, think about it. Nobody referred, until Jesus came along, nobody referred to God as Father. He has all these names, and he is all of that. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Tishkenu, Jehovah Ra. But Jesus came to reveal to us one name of God, and that is Father. It says, John 17, 6, I reveal your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you have given them to me. They have kept your word. I reveal, he says, I reveal your name to the people you have given me out of the world. What did he reveal? The Father's name, or God's name. And the name that he revealed is Father. In fact, the religious folk got mad at him because he was using that name. So fathers, be encouraged. Know that you are, again, you are loved, you're appreciated. Thank you, Jesus. All right. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're under new management. Amen. Let me bring up my presentation here. We're under, what do you mean you're under new management? Y'all know what that means? I've been talking to y'all about it. We're in a new covenant. Okay, somebody got, got a hold of it. All right. So we, we are under a new covenant. That means that, see, the, the old covenant was a do good, get good, do bad, get bad system. But now we're under new management. We're not under the merit system. Now, let's just jump right into where we left off. Um, I'm giving you two keys, and let me tell you this. Uh, I didn't have my, finish my breakfast today. I got goji berries. I, man, I guess I shouldn't be eating these. I just drank, so I don't want to be rude. Amen. I don't have enough for everybody. Amen. There's a lot in here, man. I got uh, a lemon, in case you were wondering. I got a half a cucumber, a half a lemon, a cup of grapes, um, honeydew, um, about a wedge of honeydew, and one kiwi. And celery, about three stalks of celery, and mint. Did I leave out anything? Is the mint out? No, no, I love mint. 
What's the matter with you? Okay, there are two keys I want to share with you, and I, I believe we're going to see some manifestations from this. If you apply these two keys in your life consistently, focus on them, you're going to see some manifestations some in your life. And I want you, and I, I, I ask you, to please share your testimonies with me because some things are going to jump off in your life. Boy, these are some really important keys. And some, some there may be something today you're going to, some of you are going to get some revelation. And you may hear some things for the first time. But it's going to, ooh, it's going to bless you. You ready? And there is no hopeless situation in God. Okay, no hopeless situation in God. Now, the first key, two keys, just two keys today. We already talked about number one, and we're going to jump into number two. Number one is, say, I'm under grace. Put your whole life under grace. Areas in your life that's troubling you, put them under grace. Areas of your life that you have a problem in or you have challenges in, put those areas under grace. Any area in your life that you're not seeing the promises of God manifested, put that area of your life under grace. I spent a couple of weeks talking about that. And I'm going to say just a little bit more about it, but put that area under grace. And there's no hopeless situation. Okay? Even when the doctor tells you that you can't have any kids. Or it's a 20% chance that you can have kids. As far as God is concerned, there's a 100% chance. So put that area in your life. Put your, put your womb, your reproductive uh, or, organ, whatever the case may be, wherever that situation is that, that's causing you not to have kids, put it under grace. Amen. See, and, um, and we have an example that we're about to look at with Abraham, and he's about 90 years old. You talk about a hopeless situation. Now, God had to work a miracle because he had to do some stuff to get the kids, and this is before Cialis and, and Viagra. And, and so at 90 years old, come on now. That's all I'm going to say about that. But the Bible says, See, against hope. See, this is very real in, in people's lives. There's, there's, there's people who, they're, they're, they're without hope in the natural of having kids. The doctor told them because of what's something going on in their body that they can't have kids. So what do you, what do, you do? What do you do when, when um, the doctor says that you only have three months to live? Seems like a hopeless situation. After we had our first child, the uh, doctor gave Carla a 20% chance of having kids. And we stood on God's word for six years. Then Al came and then the rest of them just kept coming. <laughs> and they, they couldn't even understand 
for why she had kids. Isn't that right? And they, they, they said, wow, they, they looked at what was going on in her body. I can't explain it. She can tell it better than I can. But they, they could hardly believe it. But, but it manifested. Amen? Think about Abraham. I mean, God had to do a miracle in, in their bodies because they had to do something. They had to have sex, right? Okay, this is adult conversation right now, but they had to have sex, so God had to do something with them. He, he couldn't go to Walgreens and, and get Viagra and stuff. Amen. And they had a, a supernatural birth. That wasn't natural at 90 years old. Anybody know any 90-year-olds having kids? Thank you, Jesus. Somebody, like they tell you, well, you, you got three weeks to live. Now, I know that that's devastating to hear. And some people say, well, you, you, you don't get people's hopes up. No, we need to get people's hopes up. We need to tell them, look, believe God. Amen. Let's, let's believe for a miracle. Oh, you shouldn't get people so up. What do you want me to do? Go in the hospital and tell them, well, you know what? I know you got a few suits in the closet. Can I have those suits? Because, you know, you're not going you know, to be here very much longer. What do you want, what do, what do you want to do? I mean, you got nothing to lose. Amen. God, God has healed you 2,000 years ago. Amen. Let's, let's lay a hold of that. Amen. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Let's believe God. Amen. There's nothing impossible with God. Abraham, against natural hope of having children, believed in a supernatural hope. And he gave glory to God. Now, that's a, that's a, a, a clue to what we're about to go into in this Second key, there's two keys, but the first key, we'll get to that later, but the first key is learning to say, I'm under grace. Amen. I don't know why this just didn't flip for me. Oh, wait a minute. Hit the wrong button here. Okay, here we go. Now, let's briefly go over this because I saw something else. There's so much in this. We talked about the promise. Y'all know what the promise is, right? That we're to be the heir of the world. All things are yours in Christ. Amen? We are heir. Say, I'm an heir of the world. So we should be dominating our circumstances, dominating life, reigning in life. Amen? Not dominating over people. Dominating over the circumstances. Reigning, o reigning over the circumstances. The promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. So it's not through a rule-keeping system, but through the righteousness of faith. So how do we receive the promise? Now, the promise was to Abraham and his seed, and that's us, because the seed is Jesus, and we're in Christ. So whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to us because we're in him. We're talking about the... the uh, on Father's Day, and I talked about how much the Father loves you, 
See, if you want to know how much the Father loves you, look at how much he loves Jesus. And that's the measure of the love he has for you. And you know the Father loves Jesus. And he prayed in John 17 that we would know that you, Father, love them as much as you love me. Now, that's some love right there. Thank you, Lord. Nobody doubts how much the Father loves Jesus. And he loves you just like that. And it's not based on your behavior. It's not based on rule keeping. The promises don't come. See, now, religion will tell you, this is why we got to keep, I, I keep telling you that I got to keep preaching this because so many people preach the opposite. They'll, they will tell you, now watch this, they'll tell you that the blessings come by you living right or staying out of sin. That that's how you get the promise. Is that what this says? No. But how many of you know religion will tell you that? Well, the reason you got sin in your life, and that's the reason why they try to come up with reason why you're not getting the blessing or, or, or the promises. But the pro look at what it said. The promise did not come to Abraham through the law. Abraham didn't even have the law. Abraham was 430 years before the law. See, he received circumcision. He's the OG. He's the original, or, or I should say the OJ. <laughs> He's the original Jew. He got circumcised as a sign of the faith that he had before he got circumcised. It was he became righteous through his believing. All right? And that's the same way the blessing, the promise comes to you is through believing. Kenneth Hagin used to tell the story about how when he pastored, there was a family that lived close to the church but never came to church. I mean... They just they would hardly ever come to church. And there were people who were faithful coming to church, and they would come up for healing, come up in the healing line, and they just, just struggled to get healed. But this other family who wasn't living right, and who they weren't living right, they weren't coming to church, they were sinners, but they would come, and they instantly get their healing. And that confused the people who came to church every week and didn't get healed. Why is that? It's because, see, the blessing, because th those folks, oh, those folks, they couldn't stand on their qualifications. They couldn't stand on their right living because they know they wasn't living right. So they just, they just came and received and, and, and believed. See, that's how you... You get the, 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 the promise, the blessings of God, by believing. Okay? You get that? See, because somebody always won't tell you. Now, religion, they tell you all the time, it's because of your, your right living. That's, that's why you're not getting the, the promises of God in your life. And that's not what this says. 
It doesn't come through, through the law. It doesn't come through uh, right living, but through the righteousness of faith. Thank you, Lord. All right. Key number one is what? Say, I'm under grace. See, when, you're saying, when you say you're under grace, you're in a secure place. You're, you're in a place where, I mean, your heart is at rest. All right? And you're, you're, when you say you're under grace, it's a declaration that you are no longer under the merit system. Now, and I said this before, you're never really secure if you're trying to live right to be blessed. Yeah. If you think it's through your rule keeping. Because what will happen is, if you're, not, if you're no longer, even, even when you think you've kept the rules, even if you think that you're doing the right thing, you're not secure because you're dependent on that. And you, you, you're, you're wondering, well, man, what if I miss it? So you're never really secure. All right. Now, when you say you're under grace, your heart is settled in a way that it can't be if it's dependent on you to obey the rules. Romans chapter 4. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to look at Abraham. Everybody say, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. Right. And grace is undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. Say, I'm under, I'm under. Undeserved, favor. undeserved favor. See, it's not just favor. It's undeserved favor. So it's not dependent on you. And when you know it's not dependent on you, your heart is settled. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence, he's talking about Abraham, in the presence of, of him whom he believed God, who give, give life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, I said last week that right after God told uh, Abraham that he would have a son, he would have his own child, referring to him and Sarah. This is when he cut a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 15. But Abraham wasn't perfect. Don't think Abraham was perfect. He lied twice about his wife, and he said, told these kings that his wife was his sister. He did it for a very noble reason, to, to save his behind. <laughs> so see, Abraham wasn't perfect. That's important for us to understand. He was righteous by his believing. And right after God cut this covenant with him, right after that, he let Sarah talk him into sleeping with the maid, Hagar. And they produced the Ishmael. And the Bible says, if you look at uh, uh, Galatians chapter 4, it says that Ishmael was born according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, everybody's born according to the flesh. You can't be talking about your physical body. He's talking about self-effort. 
He was born according to self-effort. He was trying to do it himself. See, he was trying to produce the promise on his own through his own self-effort. That's not how the promise comes. So what we're reading right here is the aftermath of this. And God, after Abraham made a mistake and he missed it. See, God is merciful. See, when you, when you, talk, when you see the word after the flesh or in the flesh, that's talking about when you're in self-effort. See, see um, church folks talk about, well, you, they're in the flesh. Because they got up and interrupted me while I'm preaching. They're in the flesh. That's not what that means. It means self, when you're into self-effort. And so, when you, when you work, God rests. He was working, God rested. God held that promise for him. But he had to wait. See, cause he, when, but then when you rest, then God works. God waited till he was about 100 years old, he and Sarah, when all the Viagra couldn't help him at this point. Now he has a supernatural child, the way God wanted him to have the child with Sarah. Before he was trying to bring the promise to pass on his own. So don't think Abraham was perfect. See? And, and God is merciful. Even when you made mistakes, it's not too late. He never gives up on us. No matter how far we run. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Let the future begin. Your future is bright. Your best days are in front of you. God has more for you, fathers and mothers. But since it's Father's Day, you know. God has more for you. The past, all of the mistakes and failures of the past, they are forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Just go ahead and receive his love. I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did who contrary to hope and that's talking about natural hope in hope believed he believed in a supernatural hope. See that's what that means. Contrary to hope in hope believed. Contrary to natural human hope he believed in a supernatural hope so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Now, how did this happen? Not being, he was not weak in faith. Not being weak in what? In faith. Now, here's, this is something right here. He's about 100 years old. But he did not consider his own body. I mean, it's interesting if you read that, taking the knots out. It could say, it would say, and being weak in faith, he considered his body. What does that tell you? Weak faith 
always considers the circumstances. Because his body, <laughs> he look, if you look at your circumstances, you can get discouraged. I mean, he didn't look at his, his body because if he looked at his body, it's like, how is this going to happen? But you know, he and Sarah, that's what they did when they had the Ishmael. They looked at the body. In fact, Sarah's the one, she came up with the bright idea. God prevented me from having children. Right after this covenant was cut. Abraham should have said at that point, well, God said. God just cut a covenant with me. And he said we'd have our own kid. He should have just, just said, Sarah, let, let me just stop you right there. But he listened to her and then went and slept with um, Hagar. Then she got upset with her because you know how women are. Hagar had that child, and she's like, looked at her with contempt. She got the whole thing twisted. See, that's what happens when you, when, when you start producing Ishmaels, doing stuff according to your self-effort. See, he started getting these repercussions. And two women standing in the same place, that ain't going to work. The scripture said, man, cast out. God said, cast out the bond woman and her son. <laughs> she got the gal. <laughs> so he didn't consider. He got to the place when he's about 100 years old, he didn't consider his own, own body about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Naturally, her womb was not producing. He did not waver. I can't wait to tell y'all what I'm going to tell you. Woo! He not, did not, I'm going to give you this second key in a, in a moment. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Again, if you take the, the knots out, it could say, he did waver at the promise through unbelief if he would have looked at his body. But he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. One translation said was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, what caused him to be strong in faith and not wavering, he gave glory to God. Now, that's not what you think. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to Thayer. Thayer was a Greek scholar. Now, now, theologians refer to Thayer. Okay? Thayer has, like, published, I have his Greek and Greek, uh, original language, lexicon, and uh, uh, Greek, and I believe Hebrew, too. But Thayer was a, a, was a, was a Greek scholar, 
They're very highly respected, all right? Now, according to Thayer, I'm going to give you the first meaning of the word glory. Now, typically, when I looked at glory, every time I would see glory, I would think of majesty, splendor, okay? Like, the Bible does refer to glory as that. For example, it talks about there's a glory of the sun, a glory of the moon, a glory of the stars. Okay, but do you know that's a secondary meaning? That's a secondary meaning. According to Thayer, the first meaning, and you can actually look it up. Just look up the word glory if you've got a concordance and you can reference it and look at the, this word glory and other words glory and you can, you can see the different meanings, but in, in most cases, what it means is opinion, judgment, or view. Opinion. View. Judgment. That's the first meaning of the word glory. So what does that mean here? What does glory mean? It means having a good opinion of God. Opinion. Now, I'm going to let that sink in a little bit because, see, we, we've been used to, oh, the glory's coming in. We, we, we think about the glory cloud so forth. That's not what that means here. This word glory means opinion, judgment, view. This is talking about having a good opinion of God. What this means is that Abraham, the reason why he was strong in faith is because he had a good opinion of God. He had a good opinion of God. God promised it, and I believe what God said. What God promised I'm fully convinced because I have a good opinion of God. He can't lie. Thank you, Lord. So what's, what's this key? What does glory mean? Say having a good opinion of God. All right. Now you have to change your thinking. When you're seeing, it, seeing this word glory, look it up and see what it means. The primary meaning of glory in the New Testament is having a good opinion of God. So no matter what situation you're in, have a good opinion of God. Why this water won't open? Goodness. It's a malfunction lid here. Thank you, Jesus. Have a good opinion of God. So th this is number two. Second key. The first key is say I'm under grace. Key number two have a good opinion of God. No matter what situation you're in, have a good opinion of God. I only have a minute left. Well, that's good because it's cool. I think we could, I might go a little bit extra with time. Oh, man, this is good time. Okay, praise God. I think y'all cheating me on that clock. No, we got to the message uh, earlier today, so I'm going to minister a little bit longer but um, okay I want I'm going to help some of you because 
Some people think you have to have chapter and verse for everything. And I want to give you an example about having a good opinion of God no matter what situation you're in. And you don't have to have a scripture for everything. It needs to line up with, with scripture. Don't misunderstand me. But, for, for example, um, if you're sick and you've been troubled with some kind of pain or whatever, chronic pain. Now, you can say, well, by Jesus' stripes I was healed. And that's good. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. That's good. But you can just say when that pain hits you, because Jesus loves me, this pain got to go. You don't have to, like, be concerned about recalling a scripture. Because that is having a good opinion of God. When you have debt and you, you, you want to get out of debt, you say, Lord, I just thank you because you love me. This debt's got to go. I'm coming out of this debt, Lord, because you love me so much. Because your favor, see, see, it doesn't have to be chapter and verse. You need a job. Lord, because your favor is on me, I know a job will open up for me. You got a, a business presentation to make? Lord, because you're with me, I know this presentation will be a success. Something comes against you. I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. Lord, because you're for me, I will prevail over this situation. Lord, because you're for me, you're going to put me out on, you, I'm, I'm coming out on top. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that good? Lord, you love me. So I'm, I'm coming out. I'm coming out of this situation. Lord, because you love me, I can't be defeated. Lord, because you love me, I'm coming out of this financial crisis. Indianapolis, Lord, because you love us. You have a building for us. You have a place for us. So we're not sweating. Let's look at an example of some folk that had a good opinion of God. Look at uh, Joshua and Caleb. God told Israel to, told Moses to send 12 spies to search out the land. which the Lord had given them, the land of Canaan. But there were giants in that land. Twelve spies went over. Ten came back with a bad opinion of God. God said, go possess the land which I do give to the children of Israel. That's what God said. If you look at Numbers chapter 13, earlier in that, uh, chapter. So God gave them the land. Amen. So I said, Amen. Right? Oh, wait, awake, okay. So, but only two had a good opinion of God. And because of that, they were the only two of the adult generation who God allowed to 
go into the promised land. Ten of them, I mean, all 12 acknowledged that it was a good land. But, but 10 of them came back and said, we can't do it because of these giants. They forgot about what God said, and they're like Abraham did not consider his own body. His own body represented the circumstances. Okay, what they did, these 10 spies, they considered the circumstances. So they wavered. They said, we can't. Because of the obstacle, because of the giants. Child of God, giants can't stop you. I don't care what the size of the giant. It's not a matter of the size of the giant. It's a matter of what is the size of your God. The Lord gave me an illustration years ago about what it means to magnify the Lord. I mean, to magnify means to make something bigger. How can you make God bigger than what he already is? God is who he is. <laughs> it's not a question of that. Like if you, if, if you gave me a magnifying glass, it's kind of small print, and, and I take it and I put it over uh, these words in my Bible, does it make these words bigger? Oh, I got a mixed, mixed uh, answer here. Yes or no? Well, no. It, the words the same size. All it does, it makes it bigger in my eyes. And that's what the Lord showed me, to magnify the Lord. We take the magnifying glass and put it on God and we magnify God, then we have a good, oh, glory, to, I'm getting blessed up in here. Now, now, I got a good opinion of God. When I magnify the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm having a good opinion of him. I'm talking about how big he is, and I'm not looking at the circumstances because I can take the magnifying glass, and I, can, and I can put it on the circumstance, and then I can get worried and fearful because that problem it might be the same size, but if you keep looking at it, that thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you put the, just like, not look at the things which are seen in the natural, we got to have spiritual eyes and put them on the things that are not seen. Put the magnifying glass on God. That's what Joshua and Caleb did. Man, look at this, man. Caleb said, like, y'all shut up. Be quiet at the people. Hey, everybody hurts. Hey, hey, you know, pump the brakes. Because they were fearful, man. Like, talking about all these excuses about why they can't. Caleb says, let us go up right now at once. See, the, there's no preparation needed. See, we just go in and we just take 
what has already been provided. God already did it. He said, go and possess. God had to wait till all those unbelievers died, and the only two that were allowed to go in to the promised land was Joshua and Caleb. And, and God said, my servant Moses is dead. Now you go and possess the land. Watch this. Told Joshua, which I do give. Oh, no, no. He said, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. Watch this. That have I given. Not I will give. I have given it to you. When did he have given it to him? 40 years ago. Mm. Let's go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. <laughs> what, what, what is this? Joshua and Caleb had a good opinion of God. They had a good opinion of God. Now this is both Joshua and Caleb. If the Lord delights in us, then he will, give, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people. That's how you, you know how you rebel against God? Unbelief. Don't, don't fear Don't fear them. They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. <laughs> and the Lord is with us. See, because the Lord is with me. See, they had a good opinion of God. He said, do not fear them. The Lord's with us. He's not with them. He's with us. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is with you. No matter what your obstacle is, say, the, say, the Lord is with me. Lord. Say, God is with me. Is See, when you say that, I know, God, I know I am going to get through this situation victorious because the Lord is with me. What did you just do? You had a good opinion of God. You're having a good opinion of God. And that's how you become strong in faith. You have a good opinion of God. Pastor, what, what, what are you saying to us today? I'm giving you two keys. And we're going to see some manifestations. And you just let me know when you get these manifestations because you're going to put your life under grace and you're going to have a good opinion of God. Now, that, all that sounds cool while we're just sitting here and chilling on Father's Day. But when you get the bad report, when you face the negative circumstances, when you face somebody rejecting you, you go in for the job interview, you don't get the job, and, but keep a good opinion of God. God's got something better for me because he loves me. See, I don't have to go and dig for a scripture. I know that he loves me. I got a good opinion of God. I don't know how he's going to do it. I know he's, he's cooking up something for me. He's working, he's working on something for me, so 
So you, okay, Mr. Employer, you just missed out on something. And uh, so l l let me see who's going to take advantage of this opportunity. Huh? See, because you know, your value is not determined on whether somebody rejects you or not. Your, your value is determined by God Almighty. And you're valuable. What you know what will help your marriage? When you um, treat your spouse as valuable, you won't mess it up. Anybody have something, um, something material that you really value? You keep it in a special place. So you, you make sure it's clean. You make, you make sure it's, I mean, you're not going to lose it. I've lost some stuff in my life, but I haven't lost my wedding ring, my band. Because I don't I treat it different. What if, we, what if we treated our spouse like that? Well, that preaches right there, doesn't it? Huh? You give it special care, special attention. Huh? There's a guy that lives around the corner from me. I think he washes his car every day. I mean, man, you never see anything on that car. I mean, not a speck of dirt. Hmm? He's out there, man. He spends some time. He takes time. Man, I admire that, man. Wow. What if you treat your spouse like that? Now, I know a car is more, more important than a you know there's one thing about one thing about cars and stuff like that even dogs and animals I think the reason why people like animals so much they don't talk back to you see people have something to say back <laughs> them cars don't man I'm tired of you coming out of here man just leave me alone today <laughs> man, a dog, man. I don't care what I say to that dog. And sometimes, man, that dog just annoys me. And uh, but no matter where I go in the house, that dog is right up under my foot. If I'm in, I'm, if I'm in my office, that dog is under my foot. Wherever I go, like I wake up in the morning, he's over there, laying on, laying right next to, laying on a, one of my clothes, some clothes, maybe. The, a shirt that I had on the floor, he's laying on top of that. He liked to lay on top of something. He's right there. I wake up sometimes, he's looking at me. <laughs> it's time to get up.
See, but the dog, the animals, they won't talk back to you. Huh? So anyway, there's some, some good marriage teaching in there. Amen? What you value, you care for. So the Lord gave you, your husband, your wife, value them. Build them up. Encourage them. Don't look at their faults. Don't let Father's Day be just, a, okay, like it's an amnesty day or something. Like it's just. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you a pass today. All right. But at midnight, it expires. Kindness expires at midnight. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. It's so good, man. I almost, man, I almost commented. I'm done. I'm just messing around now. But, um, you know, I almost commented on somebody. They had these. promoting this Father's Day gift, this, these, these tools that I thought, man, this would be a good Father's Day gift. I'm like, why is it okay? Why is it okay to give tools to guys on Father's Day? Because I'm not a tool kind of person anyway. But if I get, my, if I get Carla like an iron or a sweeper, oh, no, even people laughing at it. Oh, no, you can't do that. Uh, and why is it okay to give me a tool? <laughs> oh, daggone tool. Man, give me a bracelet. Give me a, man. man, I get you an iron, you just throw that iron at me. I asked somebody, I'm a thinker, I like that, so why is that, you know? My friend LT, I asked LT, I said, LT, I asked him that question, why is it okay to get the guy a tool or something? He said, Pastor, some things in life just don't have an answer. (laughs) 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 And that's the best answer that I got. Some things just don't have an answer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Every head body right there. Thank you, Lord. But we have a good.